On this week's edition of New York Now, we'll check in with Republican Assemblymember Mary Beth Walsh, who is speaking out against a Democratic-led effort to shift a large number of municipal elections to even years. And later in the program, we'll unpack the challenges facing older LGBTQ plus New Yorkers and highlight resources designed to help them find community and supports as they age. I'm David Lombardo, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm David Lombardo, filling in for Dan Clark. Back in June, Democrats in the state legislature passed a bill designed to move many municipal elections, traditionally held in odd years, to even years. The measure's Democratic sponsors, as well as so-called good government groups, have argued the transition will boost voter turnout in elections that traditionally have lower levels of engagement. If signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul, the measure would not impact all municipal elections, though, including races for district attorney, as well as positions in New York City, which would require changes to the state constitution in order to move. A bipartisan group of county leaders have pushed back against the potential changes, arguing they're an administrative headache, won't save any money, and will result in down-ballot races getting overshadowed by state and national elections. Republicans have also accused Democrats of pushing the issue to gain an electoral edge, as Democratic election turnout is higher in even years. For more on the measure, our Chantel Destra spoke with Assemblymember Mary Beth Walsh, a Capital Region Republican who voted against the bill at the Capitol. Assemblymember Walsh, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. That's my pleasure. So when I first saw this bill, I think that they were first considering it last year or the year before. I don't remember. I, my initial thoughts on it were that it was a good idea for financial region reasons. I thought putting all elections on even years would, you know, consolidate things so counties wouldn't have to pay. Then I was reading the bill today and previously, and I find that we're still having elections on odd years. They're just moving some of them to even years. So all of that aside, tell me your position on the bill. I know you're against it. Yeah, and the, it was interesting during the debate, we debated this bill extensively, and the sponsor kept arguing that it was going to save money. And we kept saying, but there are going to be odd-numbered year elections still, because right. under the Constitution, you know, the county clerk, the sheriff, family court judges, surrogate court judges, they're all still going to be on odd-numbered years anyway. So all those arguments that you're going to save staffing, and you're still going to need poll watchers, you're still going to need poll watchers for all the early voting and the personnel, mm -hmm. the equipment, everything. Right. So that whole argument really fell flat. So I, I'm kind of from the school where if it's not broke, don't fix it. I, I, don't, I didn't see any reason for this bill. It's just one more bill in a series of bills and legislation that we've seen since we've gone to one party rule in Albany. And it, the Democrats have to believe that there is an advantage to them or they wouldn't do it. Right. So, you know, they can argue all they want and message all they want that this is about democracy and heeding the will of the voter and everything. But, you know, I disagree. I don't think that this is necessary. And I think, in fact, it's really, a, as somebody who came up through local government, I think it could really be a bad thing. And, and I should mention, you're a Republican, but this is not a partisan issue necessarily. 
the New York State Association of Counties also wants the governor to veto this bill. They say that they're concerned about local issues kind yes. of getting swept under the rug during even years. If you exactly. move these elections to, you know, when everything else is happening, then voters might just, you know, vote down the ballot. If they're voting for uh, some candidate for president of one party, mm -hmm. they might just vote down the ballot without considering local issues. Do you also see it that way? Absolutely. And I think the Association of Counties, as you say, that represents some counties are in one party, some are in another. They are unanimously opposed to this legislation. So that does tell you something. So just to give you an example, the town races tend to be at the very end of the ballot anyway, in any year, even or odd. Yeah. And I came up through town government and then um, had a position at the county and then ran for this, this state office that I hold now. So I've seen it. I've seen it all. And I've been at the, the middle of the ballot and I've been at the very end of the ballot. And there's a real risk for an undercount. Even mm. the first year that I ran for the state assembly, when people don't know you or they just, they skip. They, they, don't, they don't necessarily vote the whole line. They might come in, it, now if the governor does sign this, and I hope she doesn't, but um, say it's an even year election that's a presidential year, like next year. Yeah. Um, so you could have somebody come in and they definitely want to vote for president. And then they really, they might vote for the next couple and then they might just leave. Yeah, I remember a couple years ago, the one of the congressional districts in central New York, uh, that race was razor thin, I think uh, either by single digits or double digits, that race. Right. So it's not uncommon. And I know the sponsors of the bill claim that the purpose of it is to increase voter turnout. They want more people to come out to the polls. The idea being if more is on the ballot, that will drive more people out. Um, you don't agree with that, obviously, but yeah. what do you think that we can do to boost turnout without doing this? If we don't do this bill, what's the best way to get people to the polls? I think we already have done so many things. Um, I don't think that that's an issue. I, I, met, I met with a group of Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts yesterday and down at the Capitol, and we met on the Million Dollar Staircase, and hmm. I got a chance to talk with them along with Senator Tedisco, and he quizzed them about What's the state bird? What's the state muffin? What's the state flower? And the kids were really engaged. But what I talked to them about was basic civics and said, you know, as you know, as a Boy Scout uh, or a Cub Scout, you need to do your daily good turn. You need to be a good citizen. And I think that idea that the um, allowing students to pre-register to vote at 16 is very interesting. And I think mm. participation in government classes, making um, our young people understand really that these races are close and that they are very important and the way that their communities run and how, how high their taxes are going to be once they get old enough to really be paying them. And just to develop that habit among the youth to always go, to always go and vote and hopefully to cast a very educated vote, but to, to always go and vote is something that, you know, is so important. I think um, adults bringing their kids to the polling place is something that I really encourage. I love that. I do too. I do too. I love seeing kids there because yeah. it really shows them like the front window of democracy. Yeah. You know, they they will, I'm assuming these children will watch television, see some politicians, but they don't really understand the process. So when that parent gets them in that voting booth and can see that moment of them taking that vote, which can be so impactful and so yeah. special, it's just so yeah, I went with my grandmother. Inspiring. I remember in Troy. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember going with my grandmother um, and the, back in the days when they had the curtain, you know, the curtain yeah. that closed <laughs> and the, the, the lever, you know, machines and everything. I remember going with her when I was a really little kid. I think that that's really important. I think 
you know, if you look at the way that voter enrollment is right now in the state, uh, we know that Democrats outnumber Republicans by a lot. But this last time it was the first time that the unaffiliated voters, the no official party voters, outnumbered Republicans. So mm. it, even when the kids do pre-register to vote at 16, many are opting to vote or to register with no particular party. And we know that there were changes in the last couple of years making it harder for third parties to even exist because they raised the number, uh, the threshold from right. like 50,000 to it was like 120 or 130,000 yeah, I don't know the math. Votes. Yeah. <laughs> so it, so it's getting more and more polarized and so I think that that can turn a lot of people off um, but I think that getting to young people really encouraging them to vote and creating, you know, easier opportunities for people to vote. Like that's why I think that the early voting I don't particularly do it but it does, you know, become something that people will avail themselves of. And I think that that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've early voted before, so there's a lot, there's more opportunities to vote now. Um, this bill in particular, if the governor signs it, I don't want you to look into a crystal ball necessarily, but, you know, what do you think comes after that? Uh, do you think that somebody should sue over this to have it overturned? I don't, you're an attorney, I'm not. So I don't necessarily know the section of law that they would sue over, but do you think that that would be the best case forward if she signs it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we see um, the, the, the other legislation that was just signed last week that the governor signed on the... Um, uh, basically no excuse absentee voting by another name. There's a lawsuit now that uh, Congresswoman Stefanik is the lead plaintiff on. So that's going along. The governor signed another piece of legislation to limit the forum where you can bring an election challenge uh, to hmm. four different counties in the state instead of allowing it to be brought in any county in the state. And um, that has not been challenged yet legally, and I hope it is. I think that is absolutely, that that is just awful. I think that kind of, it's and it was actually sold and, and debated as a way to eliminate forum shopping by limiting the forum to, <laughs> to four places that you can go and, and bring these challenges. So it, anybody who uh, does appellate work and does uh, this kind of legal challenge is going to be very busy because it's like one, in my view, one bad idea after the other is just coming coming down the pike. And we have to pick our battles to some extent, but there are a lot of battles here that really need to get fought. I mean, something that's just, it's just unconstitutional, I believe, to uh, the Stefanik lawsuit that says, you know, the voters in 2021 rejected a proposition to do no excuse absentee voting. Like 55% of the people who voted voted no. Yeah. And then they still came out with a bill to do it anyway, you know? And I don't know. It Something like that is just so clearly violative of the New York State Constitution that I, I believe that that will get overturned. But, you know, I it's it, it gets exhausting after a while and you just have to have all these private lawsuits going. But I think it's going to be important. And I know that um, that my assembly leader, Will Barkley, is very much in favor of, you know, calling, you know, calling it wrong when it's wrong and and opposing it. So, 
you know, we'll it's see a, what happens. But. It's a lot to look at, you know, so we'll be watching the Stefanik yeah. lawsuit and any other lawsuits that come out of it. You know, it's interesting litigation, you know, it does not take a short time. So we'll have to be watching it over a long period of time to see how it works out. But there's a lot to look at here. We'll have to have you back at some point, Assemblymember. I'll bring my crystal ball then. Yeah, please do. <laughs> okay. Assemblymember Mary Beth Walsh, thank you so much. Thank you. And while Governor Kathy Hochul has yet to sign the election year legislation, the smart money at the Capitol is that she will approve the bill. Switching gears now to New York's aging population, which includes the fourth largest collection of seniors in the country, we're highlighting a subset of this group often overlooked older LGBTQ plus New Yorkers who can struggle to find community or access critical services. WMHT's Will Pedigo sat down with MJ Okma, Senior Manager of Advocacy and Government Relations at SAGE, which advocates for LGBTQ plus elders. They discussed the challenges facing these New Yorkers and the help that is available. My name is uh, MJ Okma. I do policy and government relations at the New York City and state level for an organization called SAGE. Um, we provide services and advocacy for LGBTQ plus elders and older New Yorkers who are living with HIV. Oftentimes in LGBTQ plus spaces, we hear a lot of conversations about youth, and that's when a lot of the conversations about policy and needs of the community are really focused on that. Elders kind of face this double invisibility where they're not always spoken about in aging spaces, but they're also not always spoken about or directly addressed in LGBTQ plus spaces. So that can kind of render them and their needs invisible. So there's a major importance in making sure that we, we highlight the unique challenges that aging as an LGBTQ plus individual comes with. There's, you know, many disparities that, that um, LGBTQ plus elders face. You're working with a community that you have to remember that there really was no out spaces when they were growing up. Um, so there was no way for them to access support systems or communities without relying on mutual aid and underground systems or hiding portions of who they are. So when you're working with folks who have this lifetime of compounding discrimination, it leads to a lot of disparities. It leads to social isolation, health disparities. They're, they're more likely to live below the federal poverty line, more likely to be food insecure. And all of these are just a result of the discrimination that they face throughout their lifetime. If you look at the roots of the LGBTQ plus rights movement, which started here in New York, the, the Stonewall Uprising was all about the right to gather in community and be your full self without being harassed by the police. This all happened in these folks' lifetime. So they carry that trauma and discrimination that they faced into themselves like as they age and as they work to access aging services. So there are real cases of discrimination that still happen based on sexual orientation and gender identity. We're seeing that across the country. But there's also just that fear of showing up as your full self because in the back of their minds, there's that idea of like, I've been harmed for this before. How do I know it's safe this time? There has been a lot of advances in New York to give protections on folks based on discrimination and sexual orientation and gender identity. But when it comes to older adults, that doesn't erase the experiences that they've had leading up to this point in their lives. Job discrimination, um, discrimination accessing housing, being cut off from their families, all of this impacts someone's socioeconomic status and makes it so LGBTQ plus elders are more reliant on these services because they haven't been able to build the same wealth and stability as folks who are not LGBT have. There have been two really major bills that have passed in New York State recently. Um, the first passed in 2022, and that was to designate LGBTQ plus elders and older New Yorkers living with HIV as what is called populations of greatest social need, 
under New York State's interpretation of the Older Americans Act. That sounds really wonky and bureaucratic, but basically what populations of greatest social needs are, are anything other than socioeconomic status that impacts one's ability to thrive and age in place in their community. So someone living in a rural community, that's a population of greatest social need. Breaking down by race and ethnicity, those are populations of greatest social need. So what this bill that passed and got signed into law in 2022 does is it adds LGBTQ plus people and older New Yorkers living with HIV into those categories, which means that aging service providers have to start collecting data and reporting on how they're best serving that population. And it also just raises general awareness about the disparities that they face. One thing that we see a lot among LGBTQ plus elders is that they're less likely to have children and they're less likely to be connected with their biological families. Um, so they really rely on themselves and like su mutual support networks as they age, but that can lead to its own problems. You know, their, their support networks can, can pass away, they can lose touch with them. It becomes a very isolating experience. And because distrust that they have based on experiences of discrimination, it can be really hard for them to find those new supports as they age. I think in, in an ideal world, um, any elder could walk through any, any social service door and understand that they can be their full selves in that space. Um, the situation that we are facing now is that many hide aspects of themselves. And part of that could be because they're unsafe, but part of it is just fear that it's going to be unsafe. So in an ideal situation, we would have any LGBTQ plus elder or any elder at all across New York State would know that they could walk through the doors to access support systems and be able to be their full selves. There are cases of overt discrimination. There are people who do discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity or think that something is inherently wrong with being LGBTQ. But there's also a lot of well-meaning people throughout the aging service network who just might not be competent, LGBTQ plus competent or HIV competent to best meet the needs of these elders. So when someone walks through the door on high alert, fearing discrimination, carrying with them all this trauma that they've had in the past, they're gonna pick up on those slight turns of phrases that send them a message that they're unwelcome, even if that wasn't intentional. I mean, I think it's really important for older adult centers, long-term care facilities, anyone that serves elders across the state of New York to be LGBTQ plus competent and be affirming spaces so that ideally elders will know that whatever doors they walk through, they will find an affirming space and a space that they can bring their full selves and not have to hide aspects of who they are to access services. One challenge that Sage has always faced in our work around advocacy for LGBTQ plus elders is because they're so invisible, oftentimes there's really not a whole lot of data available on their needs. Um, so in 2020, we partnered with AARP New York to really work together to collect that data and put together a comprehensive report on disparities facing the LGBTQ plus elder community. Um, that report is called Disrupting Disparities, um, and it really highlights in all areas from social isolation to um, socioeconomic status to health, all of the ways that this lifetime of compounding discrimination has taken a toll and like leads to disparities. And that's not to say that this community is not very resilient and very strong. They had all these factors outside of their control that have limited their success to successfully age in the same way as their non-LGBTQ plus peers. And the data that we were able to put together with AARP New York is really important in displaying that and has been a powerful tool to, for advocacy to get changes in Albany. One of the bills that we've recently been able to push through and get passed in the legislature this year 
is the LGBTQ plus and HIV long-term care facilities bill of rights. Um, and what this bill does is really twofold. Um, one, it would require mandatory training for all staff that works face-to-face -face with residents to get LGBTQ plus and HIV competency training. And the second is it really translates the non-discrimination law that exists in New York State already into these settings and sets clear parameters of what is and isn't allowed from these providers when they're working with um, LGBTQ plus elders and older New Yorkers living with HIV. Because LGBTQ plus elders are less likely to have adult children of their own, they're less likely to be connected with their biological family, statistically they're more likely to have to rely on long-term care facilities as they age. But they also, we were getting reports of discrimination faced in those settings. Um, so this bill really was stepping up to that and saying, like, this is a high need. We have a higher percentage of LGBTQ plus elders entering these facilities, and we have to make sure that they're safe and welcoming places for them to be. Even though New York State already had protections based on sexual orientation and gender identity, what we were seeing among the populations that we work with is that there was a lack of understanding of like how that translated into long-term care settings. And even staff that might have been well-meaning were ineffectively really harming, harming folks and, and sending the message that they weren't welcome there. Um, we have a case of a participant who worked with, who's a long-term survivor of HIV, was looking to be placed in a long-term care facility in, in his hometown in Albany, sat down for the intake. As soon as he disclosed his HIV status, he was met with, well, wouldn't you be better served in New York City? Or isn't that a better space for you? And that staff member might have been well-meaning, but the message that was sent to that individual is that you are not welcome here and we are not going to serve you because of your HIV status. And that's why something like this bill is really important. All New Yorkers as they age, they're faced with ageism and they're faced with people ignoring their, their needs or feeling that their autonomy is stripped away just because of their age. If you add on to that discrimination that you face for being LGBTQ+, that just compounds and makes it even, even harder to advocate for yourself. Understanding that a lot of aging service providers across the state might not be aware about how to best serve LGBTQ plus elders, um, SAGE does run a, a training program that we call SAGE Care. Um, and anyone who's looking to find services that they know that, the, that they can know that the staff has been trained on this, they can go to our website, sageusa.org, and they can look at which providers in their area have been SAGE Care certified. You can find more information about SAGE and their advocacy for LGBTQ plus New Yorkers on our website, nynow.org. And for more on this issue, we're turning our attention to the Capital Region, where Colony Senior Service Centers and the Pride Center of the Capital Region came together to build Aging with Pride, a safe space for LGBTQ plus elders looking to connect and build community. A few months ago, the partnership provided a trip back in time, offering a chance to go through the archives from the Pride Center of the Capital Region, which is the longest continually operating Pride Center in the country. The New York Now team went over to SUNY's University at Albany, where the archives are housed, to capture this special event. I would like to be able to be open and be free to say who I am. I'm right now in a wonderful apartment complex, but I'm afraid to even share anything about myself because I don't know how they're gonna receive me. It's like a new coming out situation.
So uh, thank you all so much for joining us here today. We have scrap paper. If anyone wants to take notes, you can take pictures with your phone, feel free. Make sure we're keeping everything in the boxes so that we're maintaining the archives that these incredible folks are maintaining for us. Uh, my therapist had actually recommended this group um, just to form some new community, um, meet some new people, and just to, to get out and socialize. I did not know what to expect. I was really um, unaware of the group, you know, previously. I was just here to, to kind of check things out, really. This group is fairly new. I don't have a lot of friends who identify within the community. It's easy to become disconnected. It's easy to become isolated. So to have a group like this where we can come together is really important because it gives us the opportunity to have that human interaction one-on-one -on -one with other people who relate to things that are important to us. We went to SUNY uh, campus to the library and uh, we looked at some of the ar archives from the Gay Community Center. Being there and looking at some of the old newspaper articles, um, it was a reminder of where we were, you know, back then and where we are now, which unfortunately doesn't seem to feel that, that we've come that far, you know, to, to some degree. It also brought me back, you know, to, to my own my own coming out days, the things that happened, you know, during, during the 70s and 80s especially. And uh, just to see how much we've grown in the Albany area. I need to know and meet other folks that are in my age group. It's a lonely feeling and it's, I, at times I feel depressed. So I want to get back into the community and this is my first opportunity to be able to do this. I look forward to coming here to, to whatever the program is. It's different each month. These are new friends that I've got. I'll look forward to just connecting some more. I mean, I think it's hard when you're older anyway. You want to live amongst people that, if, if they're not similar to who you are, at least they're accepting. Um, you know, to just your basic core. For me, being a lesbian is, is who I am. An organization like Aging with Pride is so important because it, um, it allows me, you know, me or anyone to just, just to be who they are. And you can find more information about Aging with Pride and resources for LGBTQ plus older adults on our website. Again, that's at nynow.org. And from all of us at WMHT, thanks for watching this week's edition of New York Now. Sponsored in part by Eddie Senior Living, providing independent living, assisted living, and memory care options. And by the Albany Guardian Society, improving aging through education.